Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. On this week's episode, we have Gavin Coombs, one of the founders of the Dead Man Gravel event in Nederland, Colorado. The event is scheduled to take place on July 31st, 2021. Our conversation ranges from diversity and inclusion to the economics of event production, and obviously the ins and outs of Dead Man Gravel. Before we begin, I'd like to apologize for about a minute of poor quality audio in the last episode. I only learned it after the fact from a listener in the ridership. I appreciated that feedback, but thank you for bearing with me. I apologize for that. I'd also like to say a big thank you to those of you who have supported the podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. In particular, those of you who have chosen the membership option. Having a consistent baseline level of support from you, the community, means a ton to me. More and more, I'm having to move things around in my life in order to hustle to get these episodes out the door, but knowing that you're counting on me puts a little fire in my belly. When I first started the podcast, my intention was to cover an equal mix of athletes, product designers, and event organizers. As the COVID pandemic took hold in 2020, it largely took events out of the equation for the podcast last year, so I'm happy to be slowly bringing them back into the fold. I'm cautiously optimistic that in the latter half of 2021, we will see events safely going off with riders and organizers both sharing in the responsibility of safety. I have a ton of respect for event organizers. As you'll hear in my conversation with Gavin, even with a modest event size, it often can carry significant expenses associated with it. I hope you'll walk away for this episode with a little bit better understanding of what organizers go through in order to give us these experiences in the gravel community. With all that said, let's dive right in to my discussion with Gavin about Dead Man's Gravel. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's, I'm excited to talk to you about Dead Man Gravel. It, it ticks a couple um, things that I really like about events. It's got a, a funny name, and it looks really hard and adventurous. Yeah, definitely. We wanted to be a really fun event, and, and I think the area that we live in up here in the mountains is a pretty special place. And Yeah, it's going to be a great event, I think. Before we get into the event, let's learn a little bit about you and your background as a cyclist. And after that, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what inspired you to create an event. Yeah. And all honestly, I am a new cyclist and you know, a lot of people pretty new to gravel riding. I was a professional trail runner for a number of years and would occasionally ride as like cross training. I've been riding a bike for a really long time, but just never in any kind of like structured or organized way, but was always a, a runner. And in my later career was like a trail and ultra runner. And what really drew me to that is just the ability to be able to get out into the mountains and explore and just see just everything that that all has to offer. And then recently I ended my running career and then had a, a skiing accident where I, I uh, messed up my knee pretty good. And after a couple of surgeries, I've gotten more into cycling and just as a way to, to continue to do the things I loved about trail running, I was able to do on a bike as well and was 
that's what really drew me to, to gravel cycling. And in terms of starting an event, I've been wanting to do something like that. I operate another business um, that runs Deadman Gravel called Peak to Peak Endurance. And we do like retreats and camps and uh, been wanting to get into the event world for a while now. And I saw this as an opportunity to create an event where there wasn't one. Here in Boulder County, uh, Colorado, there are a few bike races, not a ton of gravel specific ones. There's a couple races or one race in the winter that's a little kind of gravel bike and then but there's not a lot of, of races in in this area and so we saw an opportunity and kind of just threw ourselves into it and just went after it. That's awesome. So I, I want to go back to something you said about how gravel cycling is ticking some of those same feelings you might have had of adventure when you were doing your ultra marathoning. It'd be, if you drill into that a little bit, do you feel like it has similar elements in how you feel after doing a big adventurous workout? Absolutely. Yeah. The similarities on the surface, there can, it's easy to see some similarities between gravel and trail running. And then as I've just gotten more into the, the gravel community, the similarities are just incredible. Just based on the, the community, everyone's like super welcoming. And that's what drew me to trail running initially from the roads. And like, just the fact that everything's just super chill and people just want to have fun and adventure and explore. And the same thing, I found the exact same thing with gravel riding. And that was a, just a huge draw for me. And, and you can still do the same things. Obviously, you can't ride a gravel bike everywhere you can run, but you can still get a lot of to a lot of really incredible places and can get go a lot further. Yeah, it's one thing to go run 50 miles and be completely trashed, but you can go out and, and, and ride 50 miles and be able to see just as much or some a lot of different stuff. And that doesn't totally destroy your body. And, yeah, you know, so the, there's I, just a lot of similarities there. I didn't draw the connection until this moment about the ultra running community and the gravel cycling community, but mm -hmm. that's so spot on. I think sport to sport, there's those elements that you described of, once you started running off-road, it just became this different thing. It wasn't about running a six-minute mile. It was mm -hmm. about covering this amazing mountainous terrain by any means necessary. And sometimes that meant walking. Sometimes it meant totally. running. All the time it meant getting dirty. Oftentimes yeah. it meant getting bloody. Mm -hmm. But it was just really about getting out there. And obviously there's so many similarities from road cycling to gravel cycling where all of a sudden a light bulb goes off. And roadies are discovering getting dirty and getting out there on these mountain roads that are right there in their community can be so much more rewarding than the same road routes they've been doing forever. Totally. Yeah. And I think you're definitely seeing that in the industry. Obviously, gravel's exploding and, and a lot of that's driven by new people getting into cycling because it is more approachable, I feel like. But you see a ton of people going from the roads to gravel because honestly, I think that being like a former road runner, I know how exhausting that world can be, you know, just mentally and physically to come to a place that is just so much more laid back. And it's not about, like you said, it's not about hitting a specific time or pace. It's just about the overall adventure. And I think people are, are really drawn to that. Yeah. Not to drill too much into the ultra community. And I certainly won't profess to be a, <laughs> an active member of it, but I do remember in the ultras I've done, there was just a creativity in the wardrobe and attitude <laughs> of all the athletes. I remember going to an event and seeing like tie-dye tall socks and people running in Hawaiian shirts. Totally. It, it just immediately broke down any kind of performance anxiety because it just felt like 
were there for an experience. And whether you're this amazing 60-year-old runner with a, a long white beard or a new athlete in their 20s, like everybody just wanted to be part of this experience in the wilderness. Totally. Yeah. And then gravel is yeah. obviously the same way. And I, I love that about it. I love, I think it's just this great reminder anytime I see someone wearing a Hawaiian shirt or doing something goofy on the bike that we're just out there acting like kids and just triggering that element of our psyche. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just fun. And obviously there's becoming, as with anything, the more popular it gets a level of professionalization that's happening, which is bound to happen. And I don't think it's bad for the sport because I think ultimately people are still, the majority of people out there riding gravel and doing a lot of these events are just having fun with it. Like wearing jorts and like you said, like Hawaiian shirts. And it's just about having fun. That's the most important thing. So that obviously like plays a role in any event design. Just to set the stage for everybody listening who may not be familiar with Colorado, can you just talk about where the event is located and maybe a little bit about what the terrain looks like? Totally. Yeah. Generally, we're in the what's considered the, the front range of the Rocky Mountains, which is a, the eastern edge of the Rockies. And most people are at least familiar with Boulder. We are about 15-ish miles west of Boulder and about 3,000 feet higher. The race is all at elevation, starts about 8,200 feet, never goes below 8,000, tops out at about 10,300 feet. And so it's hilly. There's, there's, you're up and down the whole time. There's not really any flat section whatsoever. And that's just kind of part of the, the geographic nature of where we live. It's, it is mountainous. We're at the the base here at 8,000 feet, we're at the base of of a whole string of 12,000, 13,000 foot mountains. We see right out our front door and that you get to look at pretty much the entire course. You get the, the views are just incredible. We never get up like above tree line or anything, but it's um, just pretty incredible views. And But it's not in terms of, so setting the like elevation and the altitude aside, it's really not that much different than what you could find in gravel roads anywhere. Most of the roads are really well-maintained county roads. And the kind of our long course, which is about 66 miles, is about 70% gravel. And so those are just really nice, normal dirt roads uh, that nothing special about. There are a couple county roads that are a little bit further out that are a little bit rocky, some kind of like baby head kind of stuff, and but are easy to, to maneuver through. Definitely, it's all very much gravel, bike friendly. You certainly wouldn't need a mountain bike or a hardtail mountain bike to do anything that that these courses offer. Do you think the terrain is going to be ultimately what, or the climbing is ultimately what breaks up this race? Is it the type of event that riders can likely stay together from a technical perspective, but ultimately it's going to come down to horsepower? I think so. Yeah. There's not really any sections where that are going to favor someone with more technical bike handling skills or like I was saying, our I guess we're considering like the premier race that we call it our tungsten course because tungsten was a mineral that is and, and was mined out here. And it's also the hardest mineral um, that's mined. That's what we're calling our hardest course. And like I said, 66 miles with about 8,300 feet of climbing. So pretty stout. And uh, there are a few big climbs. And so I think that's really ultimately what's going to end up separating people and who can adjust to the altitude too. Someone coming from sea level is going to have a little bit harder time. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's always been one thing for me to be in Boulder at 5,000 feet coming mm-hmm. up from sea level, but getting up to 8,000 feet is definitely, it definitely has a huge effect physiologically on me. 
Yeah, and it does honestly with people from Boulder too. It's uh, the effects of altitude are not like in a linear way. It's ex- it's exponential. So like coming from Boulder to up to, up to here is about the same from going from sea level to Boulder. And for those who don't know, Boulder sits about fifty three, fifty four hundred feet. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, so yeah. that's definitely going to play a role in it. Why don't we look course by course? Sure. And I think it's always like to tease out as an event organizer, how you thought about creating these routes and and what type of challenge did you want to create with each route? Yeah. So we really set out when creating these routes, one, we wanted to keep it simple. We didn't want to make it overly complicated with more turns than were necessary. And we wanted to highlight some cool features. So one, we wanted to make sure we got some really, you know, epic views in there, highlight a couple of the, the big climbs in the area. And then there's just some cool historical stuff. There's a ghost town that you go through that's been abandoned for Oh, I don't know, about 100 years or so. And so there are just some cool historical features and some just interesting areas that we wanted to highlight. And so breaking it down by, we have, breaking it down course by course, we have three course offerings. We call them our tungsten course, our gold course, and our silver course, which were all minerals mined in this area. And the gold course and the tungsten course start and they share the same first 20 miles or so. And they both hit that really big, the first really big long climb. It's about five miles with 1500 feet of climbing. That's pretty rocky. You need to pay attention to pay attention when climbing it for sure. And then they diverge and the tungsten course continues on and hits another big climb before coming back into town and doing another loop that I'll describe in a second. But And then the gold course continues on in a different direction, which stays on the road a little bit more. So the gold course, if someone's coming in and wanted more of a, like a more maybe coming from a road background or is not feeling like super strong at altitude or something, the gold course is a really good option just because it does have a little bit more pavement to it, takes out one major climb. And so that's at 40 miles with just under 5,000 feet of climb. Yep. Which is a little bit more approachable. And then we have our, we're, we're really pushing as like our, our really beginner friendly course. And I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but the, we wanted to have a course that was really approachable to anyone who maybe had just an interest in gravel if they had never done a race before. And it's about, it's just about 20 miles, just, a, just over 2,000 feet of climbing. So it's still a challenge, but it's about 50-50 pavement to road, uh, pavement to gravel. And so it's just a much more approachable, approachable kind of course. There's no technical sections. You could probably do it on a road bike and be just fine. Tire size and selection isn't that big of a deal. And I'm sure we'll even have probably some people do it on a mountain bike. And that's great too. It's just a really beginner-friendly course to kind of get your feet wet with, with some gravel riding. Yeah, I think it's so important. You want people to be able to hop into a course and get the thrill and invigoration of being out there in the woods and get the feel and sense of gravel without putting them in a situation where they're going to come home crying because it was a horrible, too difficult experience. (laughs) And I think it's great when race organizers are able to embrace that and be inviting into the community. Yeah, totally. And we've scaled back and we may end up doing and then next year or maybe a following year, more of like an adventure style race where it gets gets pretty gnarly and really pushes your bike to the limit. We didn't want to do that this year just because we wanted everyone to come away from this race having a really good experience. That's one reason why like all of our courses have a downhill finish. They all start and finish in the same spot, which is right in the town of Netherland. But so they all have a downhill finish, which we felt like 
no one wants to finish a hard race on an uphill climb. And so we made sure that the last few miles are going to be really fun. And so we kind of end with that that good feeling and at the front of your mind. And, and so you know, we did. We authored the courses quite a bit before we ended up on a final final course. And we just wanted to make sure that regardless of which course you choose, you're not going to walk away from it with any bad feeling. Obviously, there's always the chance you could wreck or flat out a bunch of times. And we have hopefully the support for that. But we want everyone to have a good time with it. It sounds like there's a solid chance we'll all be gasping for air, but besides that, it'll be a lot. (laughs) Definitely. Yes, for sure. Everyone will be struggling for air at one point or another. (laughs) You've also put a stake in the ground about your desire to be super inclusive for the race. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that kind of value and and what it means to you? Absolutely. Obviously, I feel like there's slowly but surely beginning to be a change in the general cycling world. And I think you see that very specific in the gravel world. And we, me as the race director and also the team that I have around me, recognize that we have a certain level of of privilege that we can just decide to start an event like this and that we have a certain platform that comes with that. And so from the very beginning, I wanted to use that platform that we have to try to lift other people up and and not exclude anybody. We don't want, we don't want our race to be a part of the problem that is the kind of homogenous and typically at least on the surface appears to be exclusionary world of that road cycling has that connotation too yeah you know and i guess i certainly would not make that broad statement that everyone who road rides on the roads or anyone who rides a bike is just a middle-aged white man that doesn't care about anybody else but but there is that sort of that perception in the world of cycling and so we wanted to be very conscious of that and do what we can in our own small way, realizing that we're not a huge race and we're not going to have just hopefully we'll have a big impact in our local community. Colorado is not exactly known as the most diverse place in the world, and but we want to do what we can to help other people experience new things, find a new passion, have a chance to express that passion that they have. And, and so we felt this is a perfect kind of vehicle to be able to do that with. And are you, if you, are you making any sort of adjustments in the way, the number of slots that are available for particular gender? Yeah. So we are, first off, the, the one thing that we're doing, which is just an easy thing that we felt like we could do right away is our first week of registration is going to be open for people who identify as, as female or bipolar. And that is, is just one way. So like they get first dibs on all the spots. And so if it sells out in that first week and all of our women, all of our riders are women or, or athletes of color, then, then that's great. And so we didn't, we don't necessarily have a set number of spots set aside, but we are trying to create opportunity where if you want to be able to register, you should have hopefully that time to be able to do. We are I guess I shouldn't say we aren't setting aside any spots because we are also partnering with a couple organizations, one of which is an organization based here in Denver called Ride for Racial Justice. And we have a number of athletes from them that are coming that we've committed to and, and helping provide resources for to get to get them to come to our race and just be able to participate in something like this. And there's that. And we're working with a couple local like women's teams to provide spots for. And we really just want to create a space where people feel welcome and are able to to join if they so want to. Yeah, I think it's just important to model that. I often find myself lacking the the right words 
I have the sentiment and the feeling, mm-hmm. but I often find my, I struggle with how to make the sport more inclusive. But it, it all starts with efforts like this, where you're just opening your arms and saying, hey, we can't solve a lot of the problems that make cycling a difficult sport to get mm-hmm. into, i.e. like affording equipment, etc. But what we can do is say, if you can get over that hurdle in some way, everybody's welcome. Yeah, definitely. And that's part of the reason, too, why like we wanted to we're trying to set up our race and the feel of our race and try to toe that line between like just recognize, yes, there are high level professional athletes that will probably be at our race. And that's great. And we want to encourage that. And, and we think that's good for the sport. But we also want to be able to create a space where people can just come and have fun and enjoy their time out in the mountains, push themselves and challenge themselves. But they can also do it on whatever bike. They don't need a $6,000 gravel bike. They can come on. There are some bikes we'd probably discourage, but you don't need a gravel-specific bike And necessarily. We don't want it to, we wanted to create just the whole event, have a feel of it was just open and welcoming to to whoever wanted to come and do it. Yeah, it's important to just, with gravel, ride what you've got. Find yeah. out if the sport is something you're interested in. If you have an old mountain bike or even a road bike, you may have some issues here and there, but just go for it. The community and the infrastructure of these events are going to try to support you with whatever bike you show up on. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So the other you know, big issue with an event, your event's July 31st, 2021, is obviously COVID safety. We don't know where we're going to be as a society or where Colorado is going to be as a state at that point. Obviously, mm-hmm. things are trending in the right direction. And I probably wouldn't have had this conversation <laughs> if your event was in June or certainly May, yeah. because I really have strong concerns that those events just aren't going to be in the best interests of our country. But why don't you talk about how you're going to approach COVID safety and what it's going to be like during the race? Yeah, absolutely. So that is obviously our number one concern. We wouldn't in we wouldn't be having this conversation if our race was any earlier. We we feel like we're going to be we're positioned to be in a really good spot. I think in terms of vaccinations, just on a national level, we're really optimistic that things are looking, are trending in the right direction at least. And and so we feel good about it. Uh, We are very, very confident that our event is going to go off in person and that it's going to resemble a quote unquote normal bike race. Now, that being said, there are certainly going to be some changes. There are a lot of local restrictions that we have to abide by. Probably the biggest one is just going to be limiting the size of the event. Based on the town that we're in and the just the general area, we're never going to be several thousand people. We don't have that desire to have a 3,000 person race. But I think we will be probably limited a little bit more in the numbers that we're going to be able to have. And the powers that be aren't even giving me a number yet. So I don't know exactly what that that final number is going to be of, of registrants. But so that's going to be the number one thing. It's just going to be, it's going to be a smaller event. We're not going to have a mass start. So it's not going to be all two or 300 people or whatever on the start line at once. We're probably going to be starting in waves, rolling out waves every minute or two for probably a couple of hours, honestly. Everyone will be required to 
wear a face mask, which makes sense. And fortunately, I feel like most people are used to now and not during the race, but while they're at the start finish area at aid stations, when you're in line for the porta potties or whatever, like you have to have a face mask on. And fortunately, we don't have to require that while riding, which is a big plus. And so that's a pretty common thing. And then and we're going to be doing all this social distancing stuff and having hand sanitizing stations and a ton of porta potties that will be rotating through so they're they stay clean and just uh, even for we think we're still going to be able to have like our vendors and sponsors have tents set up and we're gonna have like a one-way traffic flow and and you know marking that six foot social distancing kind of guidance and so we still feel like because we're because of the timing we're going to have it's going to resemble a typical bike race with kind of the the same stuff that people are getting used to now at least with the face masks and the hand sanitizing and keeping your distance from each other yeah i think that makes sense a lot of times when i talk to race organizers i'm sympathetic because a lot of the responsibility actually is down to the riders Mm -hmm. because you can set the stage you can provide all the materials and hand sanitizer stations and rules, but riders really need to take to heart that if we're going to continue to have these events, we just need to be buttoned up when we're in the Mm start-finish area. We need to take maybe be overly precautious just to make sure that events can be successful and aren't pointed to as a super spreader event, God forbid. Yeah, definitely. And like the start-finish area is is clearly the, the... easiest example of what's going to feel a little bit different. And, and so ours will look like we'll have cones on the ground that are spaced six feet front and back and side to side. You got to stay at your cone with your mask on. And then we're going to shuffle people from one group will go off and then we'll move that the next group up. And so it'll be logistically, it's not super easy and it's going to feel a little weird probably for, for most of the riders, but it's something I think that it's worth it. I think the people that are excited to get back out there. You yeah. know, we've seen that with other events and a steamboat gravel sold out in two hours and like people are excited to get back out and participate in these events again. And yeah, um, at the end of the day, I think the start line experience is such a minimal part of the overall totally. day. I will say, I think we'll, we are all missing that finish line, have a beer and taco kind of experience yeah. that, you know, it'll be back. It may be different mm-hmm. this go around. I think we'll get there and hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, we still have some festivities. Most of our post-race activities will take place actually at a brewery in town that's separate from the start-finish area, and that will still be all outside and plenty of space at that specific location. And unfortunately, you're right, like we're not going to be able to... to even we still haven't even fully decided what an award ceremony is going to look like. Yeah. Just because we can't really have people gathering and that makes sense. You know, yeah. So when some of those logistics are still, we're still waiting to hear to get some more guidance and there's even different guidance from County to County. And we're just trying to figure all that out with everybody else. Everyone's trying to figure it all out. Yeah. And then definitely. So just so that when we send this out to your registered, registered riders, they get a little bit mm-hmm. more detail on, equipment. Can you drill into it? You've, you mentioned it a little bit that you felt like some of the sections could require a pretty lightweight gravel bike, but others are more intense. Where do you find the sweet spot would be for tire size, for example? Yeah, we definitely have some of that drilled into a little bit on our website. So anyone who wants to you know, check out Deadman Gravel, we do have some equipment recommendations. We strongly discourage like a gravel slick. I think you got to have something with some tread on it is definitely going to be beneficial. We're recommending a minimum tire width of about 35, which is certainly on the, the small end of gravel tires yeah. nowadays. And that would be 
I know people who have ridden parts of our course with a tire size like that, and it's not always the most comfortable. Obviously, the, the bigger tire you have, the more comfortable a ride you're going to have. And like we talked a little bit about before, it's not this is not like an all-out speed kind of race. Having a better having a little bit larger tire that's going to give you a little bit better traction and stability in some some little rougher areas is probably going to be beneficial even if you lose a, a tiny bit of top end speed because you there aren't going to be many sections where you'll have a lot of top end speed. And just having something a little bit bigger is probably better. We're not going to be out there measuring tire sizes. It's if you choose to run yeah, 35 or something smaller than a 35, a slick kind of road tire, and you flat five times, like that's on you. But we want you to be safe um, and be smart about it. But we're not going to also can't really yeah. be out there. I mean, logistically can't really be out there, you know, policing everyone's tire choices. Yeah, not at all. There's guaranteed to be some good ones and some bad ones. Yeah. Now, in talking to you, it sounds like when you started this event, you had a multi-year horizon and vision mm-hmm. for the event. I know for a lot of listeners and people have pinged me on just understanding as a kind of a someone who created an event financially, how much do you need to put on the line to get an event off the ground? Yeah, so that's a great question. And that can that varies to a huge degree. And it really, I think ultimately you got to start with what type of event do you want to have? So are you looking more at a grassroots, local, sort of just fun event? Or are you looking to put on like a world-class, like big time event and super professional or whatever? Because there's probably a $100,000 difference in there. And yep. we're a little bit in the middle. We want to certainly have that hometown feel, but also put on a really high level event to give everyone an idea and to be totally transparent. Our budget's going to be around $50,000, which is not like, now certainly I don't just have $50,000 laying around myself. There's been some financial commitment from us personally to get the, the ball rolling. And so we feel like, and from what I've heard from other race directors that I've talked to, you could probably bet on somewhere between Forty thousand, sixty thousand dollars as like a for a small to medium size event it would be about what your budget is. Um, and do you? you know, we, and is there a vision as a race organizer that perhaps it's obviously not year one, but over time that you can break even with event registration fees, et cetera? Yeah. So certainly, it's a fine balance of we wanted to price our event in a way that was not exclusionary for anyone. But obviously, we still have to cover our costs in order to continue to be an event. And so we we feel like we struck a pretty good balance between sponsorships that we were able to bring in plus registration fees that we are we're expecting. And as of now, I can say we're looking pretty good and at least staying in the black a little bit for our first year, which can which I know is, is hard for a lot of first year events. And so I feel like because of that, we, I feel like we've struck a good balance between registration fee prices um, and sponsorship dollars that we are able to bring in. And obviously, the better we do, the better event we can put on next year and continues to build on itself. Yeah, I Um, appreciate you being transparent on that because putting some real numbers against it, it starts to make a lot of sense. I think for athletes coming in, it's pretty easy. And I I haven't looked at what your event registration fees are, but just for simple math, if it's a $100 registration fee and you have 300 riders, you can then generate $30,000, which still hasn't taken care of all the expenses, so to speak, for the event. And that's... Maybe at the outside, that might be hard for a rider to recognize, like how much is actually on the line to put off a you know great event. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you definitely, you're 100%. And so it is hard. And so obviously sponsorship dollars come into play in that and help make up that difference. And it's not, we're not really making a lot of money. No one, at least in races like our size, no one's like getting rich off of this. We're doing it because one, we love it. I love doing this stuff. It's super stressful and takes up and there's a ton of time and, and work, but we love it. And so that's why we're doing it. But almost all of our money goes to paying police officers to be out on the course and providing food for the athletes. And there's a lot of things that cost a fair bit of money. And so it's yeah. not that like we're making a ton of money on this. No, exactly. Like imagine when you chop up that $100 entry fee. And again, that's just my made up number. Yep. You're talking about 85, 90% of that likely going to just overhead, you know, costs that have already been spent and day of event experiential things like food and and safety things like the police officer. Yeah, totally. The margins are are pretty low. It does. And we want to put on a good event. And so we want to make sure everyone's having fun and and all of that. But we also don't want our entry fees. And and just so you know, so our, our, our long course, the our 60 mile course is is $100 starting yeah. off with for registration and then our gold course which is like our medium distance is 80 and then the short course is 35 and so we try to keep our you know prices reasonable and, and approachable while still being able to cover the bills and that's what I think too when you know so many races being canceled and obviously certainly no one anticipated covid just decimating the the race season. And by it's, I've certainly gathered a new appreciation for race directors, like not being able to give back a hundred percent of the money because so much money is spent up front yeah. that most of your registration fee is already spent months before the race. And so it is hard for, especially for a new or small race. We rely on those, that money each year. We don't have a huge war chest of money sitting around that we can, you know, survive another year without, you yeah, know, exactly. you know really absorb those costs. Yeah. So. You wouldn't to any event organizer who lost a ton of money in 2020 for not wanting to get back in the game. So I, I think it's always been part of my mission at the Gravel Ride podcast to interview race and event organizers, because I think you guys are definitely putting yourselves on the line every year to put <laughs> these events, whether it's financially, emotionally, and certainly all your time and dedication that it's important for athletes to understand and just give a socially distanced high five to the next <laughs> event organizer you get in front of. Totally. Yeah. And it's actually, I feel like driven more of a camaraderie even between event organizers is there's, I know there's a couple groups of some events that are really large in Colorado that are working together to, you know, even help lobby the state and their local municipalities to like, oh, let's get some clear coverage on this. And so everyone's trying to, everyone's trying to work together because ultimately you know, people realize that if we can work together you know, as race directors and not as competitors necessarily, then, you know, it's going to be better for everyone. Yeah. And at a statewide level, just being able to provide economic opportunity for mm-hmm. these rural communities, I think is a very noble and important thing to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gavin, thank you so much for giving the overview of Dead Man Gravel. I'll have mm-hmm. links to the event and your social media handles in the show notes. Right. And it sounds exciting. I can't wait to continue following it. Yeah. Thank you for having me and for giving us the, the opportunity to share about our race. My pleasure. Big thanks to Gavin for joining the show this week. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about the Dead Man Gravel event. And in particular, I hope you walked away with a little bit better understanding about both the time and financial commitment these event organizers have to go through in order to bring you these types of events. 
next time you get in front of an event organizer, give them a high five. Let them know that in addition to paying for the event, you really recognize the amount of effort they put in. Because for most organizers, these clearly aren't big money-making events. So that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. I appreciate you joining us. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a frequent listener, thank you. It's great to be part of your life each week. If you're not already a subscriber, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. That's a big deal for us in the podcast community as it's really a big signal that what we're doing is taking hold. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. (laughs) 